Live from the formerly Redskins Stadium, watching a game formerly known as football during the scrimmage formerly known as practice, while listening to music from a person formerly known as Prince, where we are exploding philatelic IEDs on postal EKUs. This is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 265, part due. This is Tom. This is Cash. This is Scott. This is Mark. This is Becca. This is Albert. This is Stan. This is Tony. This is Don. And I missed my part. Brought <laughs> to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. Shout out to our new members KCM from Nashville, Stephen V from Scottsdale, Eric K from Anchorage. Stay warm up there. Joe F., who sent his 10 bucks in a cemetery envelope. Are you trying to tell us something? Richard Y. from Honolulu. Dave, who didn't give us a return address to send your membership certificate. Email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. As part two of last week's episode, today we are moving from first day covers to first use covers, better known as earliest known use, or EKU. Expertizing first days and earliest documented uses. A correction. This is from Lynn's Magazine, dated May 28th, 2020, by good friend of the show, John Hotchner. Earliest known uses, or EKUs, are stamps where a release date is known, specifically or generally, but the first day of use is not known. In these cases, the Scott Specialized Catalog of United States Stamps and Covers provides what it calls an earliest documented use date, or EDU. We are going to drop so many, what are they, anagrams? No. Yeah. <laughs> Lettergrams. <laughs> Expertizing determines EDU or EKUs, and Scott editors will change the EKU date based on a recognized certificate stating an earlier date than previously documented. This is a big deal. Not just because accuracy matters, but because there are collectors who chase EKUs and are willing, even eager, to pay significant premiums for them. In the article, they show a $1 Franklin head stamp on cover as an example. The article goes on, this cover is the current record holder for the $1 unwatermarked Perf 10 Benjamin Franklin stamp, Scott 478. The first day is known to be December 22, 1916, but the first documented use is May 24, 1917, on the parcel label piece shown. Which we can't show because... Which we can't show. Yeah. <laughs> on cover, this stamp catalogs $3,000 in italics, indicating that the stamp can be difficult to value accurately. What would it cost as an EDU? We can only guess as it has not been sold since the certificate was issued. Or it has been sold, but private treaty or whatever. Another cover was reported, actually a wrapper with a strip of nine $5 stamps, Scott number 524, canceled in Washington, D.C. on March 10, 1919. 
The Scott catalog sub- subsequently changed its listing to earliest documented use, March 10, 1919, strip of nine with numbers 516, 517, and 537 on piece, and the $1 cover, March 20, 1920, on cover. Because the old 1920 dollar value EKU was regulated to secondary status by the new EKU cover, the old cover's value as the reigning champion has been greatly diminished. Yeah, Tony, you have a story about this, don't you? Yes, a little bit different. In the early 90s, I went to the post office on Clearwater Beach, Florida, small post office, and I was reading Lens every week, and I knew that uh, when I asked him for some stamps, the uh, the, the uh, counter guy, that uh, it was a early use that uh, these stamps were not supposed to be uh, released till like next week. I think it was like the Dean Atchison stamp. It was a commemorative stamp, though. And I mailed one to Lens, and I mailed a few to myself. And uh, had a couple hand stamped and a couple went through the machine mail. And so Lynn's reported it and they reported it uh, as the earliest known use. And then a few weeks later, uh, an earlier one was reported. So, yes, I was downgraded. So, price was greatly diminished. So, two people broke the rules. <laughs> At least uh, the guys they were getting lens a postmaster because a couple weeks later it was all in lens and they read it and the postmaster called the guys in and read them the riot act about uh, uh, selling early stamps so that outlet was gone. <laughs> I understand why. <laughs> why? Well, uh... Yeah. At the time, there was a lot of early. They they didn't. They were putting out a lot of commemoratives, and they didn't really care. I don't think. I met a first day cover dealer uh, a few years ago. He's since passed on, and I had I had bought some first day covers from him, and uh, he tried to get me to buy some early use covers, and uh, I kind of looked at him, and he says, "Well, I have a friend in the post office, and he gets them for me." Before the and get some canceled before the issue date, and he says, "How many do you want, and which which <laughs> of the new issues do you want?" And I just thought that was wrong. So be careful, because sometimes these are, you know, knowingly distributed uh, against the rules. So it it can be a minefield that uh, you probably just, you know. When you hear a story like that, you just kind of don't want to play in that field. Well, talk about purely philatelic. That's uh, <laughs> that's well, about yeah. as much as it gets. Yeah, I mean, he wanted to put caches on it and with early cancels and stuff like that, and and he actually had some on his table that he was selling at, you know, they were brand new issues, and he was asking thirty, forty, fifty dollars a piece for them. Holy mackerel! Yeah. Wow. So I ended up not buying anything from him <laughs> after that. Well, with the money involved, expertizing is important. Expertizing EKUs is straightforward. Is the cancel partially on the stamp and partially on the envelope, known as the stamp being tied, 
Is the cancellation genuine? Is the date in the cancel undisturbed and clear enough to be read? Is it earlier than the listing in the Scott catalog? If these criteria are met, we have a new EDU and the prior record holder is out of luck. That's not so straightforward, though. <laughs> Especially, is the date clear? Well, we have an example of that with the Facebook Virtual Stamp Club. We had a meeting about weeks ago, and um, one of the members brought a 210 cover to the um, to the club meeting, and um, we couldn't decide whether it was an 1883 or an 1885. Or actually, um, it, it was. In, it might have been like in 1886. It was just kind of that digit was not easy to read. No, it wasn't. It was very difficult to read, and um, we finally determined that it was 1885. And um, compared to the other five that was on that cover. And it was not an earliest known use. If it had been in 1883, it would have been an EKU well, that's, possibility. That's one of the reasons why certification on those is is uh, part of documenting the earliest use, because a lot of the expert committees have equipment that's not available to the average collector, and uh, they also have a number of different uh, experts that are pretty good at looking at at these things and deciphering them as well so uh it's always good to get the documentation and uh, i know at psc we never we never say anything is an earliest documented or known use when it's submitted we just say in the opinion what the date is and uh so that way the certificate is still valid whether it's an early documented use or it's superseded the certificate is still accurate either way yeah, and just as a note uh, on this 210 cover, it was identified because of actually the font. The last digit was sort of smeared, but the font made it identifiable as a uh, 5. And I want to bring something up. This is something that I purchased for myself, actually for PSE2. It's really cheap. I think it's like $35 on Amazon. And I'll read the whole description. It's a 7-inch LCD digital USB microscope. And it's by Coolertron. K-O-O-L-E-R-T-R-O-N. And it is a little magnifier. You put your stamp inside of it and it blows the stamp up to, you know, it'll blow a quarter of the stamp up to like a four inch by four inch so you can really get a good detail on it it's a really fantastic item if you're going to be looking at stamps for details like the digits uh for an eku or something this is really a must that everybody should get we don't get paid anything for it this is not an advertisement for uh amazon or coolertronics it's just that we found this item, and it really works well. But what of those very early covers where there is no year date in the cancellation? Here is where Moore's question comes in. In reference to some of our early U.S. stamps and their earliest known uses, are the EK used based on dated cancels or stamp slash cover, or are some based on 
the contents of the cover, like a dated letter or docketing marks on the cover itself, such as a received date. Also, the contents may support the cancel, but I doubt anyone would certify an EKU based on the contents alone, since contents, contents and docketing can be created or swapped. So it creates a weak link. Albert, this oh. is, sounds like something that you might know a little bit about, dating early covers. Well, there's a difference between dating them and then figuring, figuring them out for expertizing. Sometimes a con... Sometimes you can suggest that the contents may will suggest a date, but that's not absolute proof. A lot of times you have to do a lot of research. You've got to accumulate a lot of postal history in that period of time and then compare it and see if it's, this, if it's the same cancellation and the same date stamp. Right. Also, um, cancels can you can tell a year uh, of a cancel sometimes based on the characteristics of the cancel because a lot of these canceling devices were not necessarily made of metal uh, and if they were they weren't hardened and wore over time with use and so especially cancels from larger cities may have wear at one point in their life where as you know in 18 at like the 210 in 1883 it would be a, a might be a newer cancellation device Whereas in 1885, the cancellation device may have more wear. On the reverse side, it may be a worn device in 1883 that was replaced and have a new device in 1885. So you have to look at comparables. When you talk about, when you talk about for instance, 210, 210 has, they printed hundreds of millions of them. <coughs> the early impressions and the early colors are very distinctive. So you can actually tell an 1883 usage from an 1886 usage or an 1885 just by the impression and the color on the stamp. Well, the interesting thing about that 210 cover was obviously there was a letter inside of it. I mean, you know, they all have letters. The paper of the letter just happened to line up with where that that number from the cancel hit. So on one side it was raised up because there was paper inside and on the other side it was lowered because there was no paper so the actual fact that there was a letter in there made this sort of distorted little wave to those digits and one of the things that we did was you know we looked at the five what it turned out and then we looked above it and it was i think march right stan it was march and the r was misfigured and then we looked up higher, yes. and the, the city, the lettering of the city was messed up. So it was just a straight line of sort of this fading or whatever you want to call it, where it distorted the lettering. And uh, like I said, we identified it because you couldn't see really what the le number was, but you could see what the font was. And as, right. and as soon as we saw that that three had a flat top that sort of curved up to the uh, right uh, we go that's the top of a five not the top of a three right absolutely well Mr. Hotchner goes on concerning contents I guess I would say that such determination would be made on a case by case basis it is entirely possible we have relied on contents to determine a date 
but it is more likely positive support would come from a folded letter sheet to which the stamp has been affixed. Loose letters might be problematic, but again, case by case. I believe that the only maybe FDC EKU that is listed is the Scott number seven, one cent blue type two affixed to a printed circular dated July 1st, 1851. Oh, our uh, favorite issue here, at least my favorite issue. I know that uh, (laughs) Albert loves it too, but yeah, there are July 1st, 1851 first use, earliest known uses, and there are none before it because no postmaster, well, actually, I think no person would have gotten a three-cent stamp through because the postal rate before that day was five cents. So if you put a three-cent stamp on it, the postmaster would say, "Um, I don't recognize that stamp, and it's also two cents short. But yeah, I, I'm still trying to get a July 1st, 1851 first day cover, or excuse me, earliest known use cover for my exhibit. And uh, they are kind of pricey. Have you had one? I've owned two, but bought them and sold them. Yeah. One, was, one, was in, one was one of the two that was in the gross sale last year. Oh, mm-hmm. Well, isn't there a U.S. number five on July 1st, 1851 cover? I believe it's I believe it's documented in Ashbrook Special Service, but I've never seen it directly. Yeah, but that's that, that's the that's the uh, that's an expensive item to say the least. An expensive stamp, earliest known use on top of that. Well, most people know that I'm very obsessed with the um, 1919 to 1922 issues that were um, issued at the uh, U.S. Postal Agency in Shanghai. And we know that the actual first day was July 1, 1919. Uh, there was an article a couple of years ago uh, in Linz that showed a, a um, picture postcard which actually has the um, newspaper clipping about the stamps coming out. But it's, um, and it was allegedly the message was where he sent it and was posting it on the first. But the actual postmark is on the fifth. The only, for, the only real first day that I've ever seen and true earliest known usage of any of the Shanghai overprints is a, um, a K11 that's actually registered on July, July 1, 1919, was sold in the late 80s at a George Alviso sale for $12,500. I was the underbidder on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I have a story. Um, I bought a, I actually traded, and the whole trade is an interesting story, too. I tra- a, a brothel in Nevada went out of business. And the brothel made these little souvenir menus of different, like, positions and things you could order. And this fellow, he was at the bankruptcy sale. Actually, it wasn't bankruptcy sale. An IRS person just basically stole all the souvenirs and then sold it to him. I traded him those for a bunch of number 65s and grilled issues on cover. Or, excuse me, on pieces. And I had eight number 85s inside of it. And the eight 85s all obviously came from the same correspondence. And the person was a traveling salesman. So they were Philadelphia, New York, and Boston. Well, two of them had dates prior to the earliest known use. 
I was lucky there was a person named Philip Kayford. I hope he is still out there. If he is, shout out. He is the expert on Philadelphia cancels. I mean, he had everything. And so he was able to establish that my one date was from, I forget it was uh, 1866, was the earliest known, or five. I forget which one. It was either 1885 or 1886. And that this was a first day by like four days. And I sent it off, and this is before I worked at PSE, but I did get a PSE cert and a PF cert. And both of them said it was real, and I sold it as an earliest known use. I have one, and I still have it today, which is three days earlier, same person, when he was in New York. But nobody can confirm the date of that cancel because neither one had a, a date on it they were both just it was by the design of the cancel that he knew it was 1885 the new york one same correspondence i'm willing to bet it's an earliest known use but no one can prove it because you can't prove the cancel and until there's some new york expert out there who can prove that this is an 1885 cancel it has to sit as a maybe earliest known use so uh i have uh, been in this also and uh very interesting stuff but one thing my earliest known uses were like by three or four days we see people send stuff in and the earliest known use is like a year earlier or two years earlier and at that point, you got to sit there and go, eh, you know, maybe somebody will find one that's a week earlier or something. But to have a stamp that's two years earlier, there has to be a mistake. Well, some of those early, some of those early grills are very scarce, the numbers that are printed. If, um, talking about something that, that um, is both in EKU and is the only ones that are known or is, uh, is, is the three-cent B-grills that all come from that cover from Texas. And they're worth, five, they're worth what, five copies? And yeah. they're, they're each worth now, what, 600,000 each? <laughs> but they're both, but because they're, they're unique, they're, that cover is the source of all of those copies. So they're both the only copies known, and they're also the EKUs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. Like the uh, one cent magenta is an EKU. <laughs> None of the number C3As were ever used. They're all mint. That's, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. C3, C3 is an interesting thing because um, to properly use it on airmail, uh, you couldn't have done that on the first day because the airmail flights weren't scheduled at that point. And so... Uh, you know, we've been talking about earliest known usages. You know, some of the some of the other areas that go along with it are um, first flight usages and things like that. Uh, first flights are not specific to a certain stamp, although C three definitely has a a lot of history going for it. <laughs> Anybody wants to read about it? There's a book titled Jenny. I don't know if I don't know if there's a true C three first day. There were several. I can remember four or five different patients that were submitted when I was at the Philatelic Foundation over the last 35 years, and all of them were bounced. 
They, we, it took some time, but they were all proven to be fake. And so I don't, I, I, I don't know, since I'm not a first day cover expert, I don't know if there's a true C3 first day. I don't think there is. Um, I do know that the first flight uh, was scheduled, and when the pilot took off, he went the wrong way and crash-landed. And so they loaded all the mail back up on and his plane onto a train, drove it back to Washington, and then he took off the next day and made the flight. <laughs> and I actually have a uh, – and those, those covers are actually marked, and I actually have a cover from that first flight. Well, isn't the first flight uh, an interesting story because – you had the first flight, and yeah, <laughs> so we just talked about. Oh, oh, um. producer and engineer were on. We're on a sidebar. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> so, was that a first crash cover? Uh, I was trying to make Tom crash for that issue. Yes. <laughs> yeah, first airmail crash cover for that issue. Well, there's going to be a virtual stamp show coming up. The virtual stamp show is scheduled for August 17th through 22nd, 2020, sponsored by the American Philatelic Society, the American Topical Association, and the American First Day Cover Society. Speaking of first days, registration for this six-day event is free and open to everyone. The virtual stamp show will include opportunities to conduct face-to-face -face business with buyers, including live interaction between dealers and buyers, and instant messaging to discuss business. It's as close as you can get to an in-person stamp show experience. And there are dealer booths currently available. Well, we do this every Sunday. Stan, why don't you plug your show? So the virtual stamp club meets every Sunday. Um, at 4 o'clock Eastern, 1 o'clock Pacific, to discuss various aspects of philately. This past Sunday, we actually had a virtual swap meet that went pretty well. Tad, you were there. What did you think? Oh, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Uh, you know, usually we talk about, we share stuff and show stamps and talk about stories and stuff about stamps. That one uh, was very interesting. There was a fellow who was selling hand-painted first-day covers, and he showed some of his stuff, and his stuff was very interesting. Uh, do you remember? I I apologize. I don't know what we call his name. It was His name is Nerlay Curdue, and um, he is a prominent first-day cover producer. Um I really like the main lobster cover he presented, but he presented a Greta Garbo cover that was pretty exquisite as well. Yeah, um, he's won awards for his first day covers, you know, his artistic styles and stuff. He So hopefully uh, he will come on and do a little presentation about how he does it and stuff. But that's the sort of stuff that we were discussing. It's pretty interesting for me. Um because it's the one day a week I actually get to hang out and relax and talk stamps other than this. Yeah. Yeah, and we had a sort of a swap meet where we held stuff up or put pictures up and people were able to buy stuff. And I did a whole, I think I did like $12 worth of business. <laughs> I did about $6 worth of business. So, I mean... Um, but it was fun. Well, that's the whole thing. Yeah, it was 12 bucks, but it was fun. 
Yeah. And anybody's welcome to join the Virtual Stamp Club on Facebook. Yeah, so on Facebook, what you do is you uh, type in Virtual Stamp Club, you'll find the post, you click the link, and uh, voila, you're on. And if you click the yep. link and it says the meeting hasn't started yet, that's because it starts at 3 o'clock or 1 o'clock West Coast time. You know, so if you log on at 2 o'clock, it's going to say not available. Yeah, you know, log in close to when it starts. We had and we had a person who a yeah we had a person who uh, said I couldn't get on I couldn't get on it's like well what'd you do and he goes well I was on at like twelve thirty and they go well it wasn't started until one you know <laughs> so I know why you couldn't get on that's right it'll be very interesting to see how the APS does this virtual stamp show because uh, it sounds I mean you know we have a WebEx basically one person talks at a time at the virtual stamp show here for the APS. Are they going to have multiple people who can go into multiple areas or is it going to be one person talking at a time? Good I, question. Or are they going to have, you know, are they going to have many virtual meetings? Yeah. Or maybe, yeah, like you can click on a person and talk just with that person or something like that. This will be interesting if it works. I'm, I'm interested. I'm going I to think s- it's the, I think it's the wave of the future. Well, I don't think it's a wave of the future. I think that it's a, a short-term thing. It's a it's an additional thing that can happen just because the virus is going around. Uh, I think that once the virus passes, which I think that uh, the news cycle will eclipse it when the election starts, and uh, you won't have any reporting on it, and. Once uh, something falls out of being reported, it basically disappears from people's minds. I think that then people will start getting back to shows because buying something and walking out with it in your hand, I think, has just incredible value to it. I mean, you can sell things on eBay, but being able to actually look at the stamp front and back and then walk away with it after you pay for it. That just has such huge value to it. Mm-hmm. And, and you never have to worry about buying the one of 100 available. So yeah, <laughs> you get, you, you see, you see the, you see the 100 graded stamp on the thing and you end up getting shipped to, you know, grade 70. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we described 40. Yeah. Describe that real quick as uh, we've had, a lot of people oh, who talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> He's one of them. Yeah. <laughs> no, I made, uh, when you're buying on eBay, you have to be very, very careful about reading the full description. And usually at the top, when they list the stamp, it'll it'll say something like an amount available or like more than 100 available. And when you ever see something like that, the picture that they show is almost a 100% guarantee it is not the stamp you're going to get because it's just a stock photo. And I have fallen victim to that. I know other people have fallen victim to that where I order a stamp and I go, holy cow, that's an amazingly centered stamp. And I order it and I get like, you know, a stamp that grades 80. And I look at it and just went, toss it to the side. (laughs) Actually, I don't do that. First, I go back onto eBay because I want to go. I want to go complain. This is not the item that I bought, and then I see 
More than 100 available. Because I, uh, I totally missed it. My fault. My bad. Congratulations. I can lick that and have three cents extra on a stamp, on a letter. <laughs> Lloyd has done the same thing. So always be, always be careful that it says this is the item you're receiving or doesn't have a multiple number listed in it. Because it'll get you. Yes, it will. I list multiple things, but I'm conscious of it. So I always show the picture of the worst one, not the best one. And so, you know, you are not, it, it, sometimes I get stuck because it'll be like a used stamp and a person will say, well, I want the one from, uh, I don't know, Las Vegas, Nevada cancel. That's why I bought it. And then I'll go, oh, okay. And then I go through and I look to see if I still have it and I send it to them and, you know, apologize and stuff like that. But I always show the worst one. I never show the best one. And in my description, it says, I am showing the worst one. Yours will probably be better unless you're unlucky. (laughs) (laughs) Unless I totally guessed wrong on which one the worst one was. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's a thing that I really have a complaint with about a lot of buyers or sellers is that they will show the best one, not the worst one. And when you're listing stuff like this, you got to make sure that you protect the sellers. Otherwise, you're just going to get a bunch of negatives and you're going to have a bunch of unsatisfied uh, customers. Yeah, that's the whole. And it goes quick, and your business goes quickly down the tubes. Yeah, that way. It's the whole fool me once, shame on me. Yeah, <laughs> rule. Well, that about wraps us up for today. We need your help. Join the podcast. Membership is $10 for a lifetime. We need your help to keep us going because nothing on the internet is free to do, including setting up our telephone connections. If you have an APS number, please send that as well because we are an APS-affiliated club. Our address is P.O. Box 539-309, Henderson, Nevada, 89053, and your support is very much appreciated. And as you may note now, you'll get a free shout-out in the beginning. So you get a cool certificate and a shout-out on the podcast. (laughs) You've been listening to Stamp Show here today, episode number 265. This was Tom. This was Cash. This was Scott. This was Mark. This was Becca. This was Albert. This was Stan. (laughs) Tony. This is Dawn. You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.